with Renee Vitale. And Renee, once again, I did not see one Aurora Borealis this morning. Me neither. Just a bunch of white clouds and uh, pollution, light pollution. And, and that's the thing. I mean, every I, I feel like every few months we get a story that that you know comes across uh you know my radar like ooh people in Detroit might be able to see the northern lights where now where i i i've actually tried to go out and i don't know how far you have to go out to see them i remember last year my wife and my dog and i we went out to uh fox hills which is like m14 in north territorial yeah. cuz that's where we do spin on golf and it gets really dark there couldn't see it back then maybe armada those areas. Well, I don't know. I should phone my parents. They live uh, near Armada, so they might actually be able to tell me. Yeah, Parker. Um, Wake them up. I, I'm tell on them the, to go look outside right now. Yeah, I mean, I'm on the end of an overnight. I've been looking outside for them all night, and I haven't seen anything either. Yeah, yeah, pa- yeah. No. Parker. I don't think we're going to see them down here in the new outside center. the Fisher right. Building. Yeah, your folks live kind of in the thumb, don't they, Park? Yeah, uh, sort of. More like uh, in in like the knuckle area, like <laughs> the soft flesh, like right when it's uh, becoming your thumb. Come visit Michigan's web. Yeah, you know. <laughs> um, well, I, I've looked at a light pollution map because I, I really want to see them. And if you go north, eventually, once you get past Detroit's uh, light pollution, then you get into Flint's light pollution. You go west, you start getting into Ann Arbor. Lansing's light pollution. You have to go like you have to go northwest to like oh, yeah, across the Zilwaukee Bridge. Uh or you may even have to completely go way west of the Zilwaukee Bridge anyway. So we have to go up north. What a concept. Yeah. Well there is a um there is a like dark sky park up by Mackinac, but uh I, I can't really get I can't get away that far during the no, week. No, no. So just stop playing with us, all right? If you live in Metro Detroit, unless maybe your Parker's parents uh uh neighbors, you're not gonna see the northern lights. In the knuckle. Yeah. I got an update. Nope, nothing from uh nope. up in Armada. So you gotta go north of the knuckle. I love that your parents are up listening this early. Yeah, yeah my dad's uh early shift too, so all right, Mr. Moser, you're 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 you've raised a fine young man. So far, you're very young. I keep forgetting how young you are. So there's still time for it to go wrong. But so oh, far, so I'm, f- I'm glad I'm glad you have faith in me. So far, <laughs> you've uh, raised a fine young man. All right, Renee, uh, Sean Fain dropped another video last night. This time on YouTube. We're going to keep hitting the company where we need to, when we need to, and we're not going to keep waiting around forever while they drag this out. I have been clear with the big three every step of the way, and I'm going to be crystal clear again right now. If we don't make serious progress by noon on Friday, September 22nd, more locals will be called on to stand up and join the strike. Keep that going. I was vibing to that. Has he upped the production value? It sounds like they got Jerry Bruckheimer to score (laughs) behind them. Wow. But... If you weren't d- distracted by the, uh, you know, the beautiful symphony into the the hot beat behind Sean Fain, he said that the uh, big three have until Friday to come up with another legit offer before the next round of, of, of strikes with this. What is this? His rolling stand up strike, he's calling it. Yep. Yep. And and now we have an automi- uh, automotive supplier that is expecting to lay off more than 290 employees from 
four Michigan facilities beginning in October. CIE Nucor, which calls itself a Tier 1 and Tier 2 auto supplier, said that 293 layoffs are possible due to the strike. The company expects to temporarily lay off employees for one month starting October 2nd at facilities in Corona, Owasso, and Clifford, depending on how long the strike lasts. CIE Nucor said that it may also temporarily close facilities amid the anticipated layoffs. Yeah, and you'd like to think, oh, okay, well, uh, the strike will be over by October, but I I, I think everyone's a little bit skeptical of that. We don't know. And this is the first ripple effect that we knew was going to happen the, sure. the longer the longer these strikes go on um the more suppliers are going to be be affected on the upside though canada yeah yeah this is proof positive that canada is a kinder gentler country than, than us here in the united states so it looked like ford um was on a collision course with the canadian uh union unifor they had a, a deadline uh, of 11.59 last night to reach a deal or they strike. Uh, it sounds like they were negotiating after midnight and then a couple hours after midnight, Ford said that Unifor uh, made a substantial offer. And now they're back to negotiating. It said that, that, that their employees still need to maintain strike wet readiness, but it looks like they're going to get a deal done. They already had a deal done with GM and Stellantis. Mm-hmm. So it's not quite as big of an operation as here in the United States. Uh, I, I believe Ford only has one plan in Canada. It's near Toronto, and uh, they, they employ 3,400 people. But it looked like this strike was going to cross the border, but it, it looks like as of now, strike averted. I mean, progress good enough that they're continuing to talk throughout yeah. the night. That was good. And so maybe once they get a deal done, maybe Unifor negotiators can come over here and maybe help with our negotiations. Right, right. Uh, this is a bit of a crazy story. Davison man accused of threatening Sean Fain. I saw that. Uh, he's been arraigned in Genesee County District Court on false report of terrorism charges. Holy cow. Zachary David White, he's 31. He was charged with false report of threat of terrorism and false report of threat of bomb and harmful device. Uh, White was arraigned on the charges Saturday. Not guilty pleas were entered on behalf to the charges, uh, the most severe of which is punishable by up to 20 years in prison. According to Genesee County Prosecutor David Layton, White sent threatening text messages to Sean Fain. Layton said in a statement, I'm not going to second guess Mr. White's intentions, nor am I going to view his messages as idle threats. Such tactics, no matter the reason, are uncalled for, inappropriate, dangerous, and against the law. White's scheduled to appear back in court on September 28th for probable cause conference. Yeah, and here's the thing. I mean, whether you agree with Sean Fain or you don't, he's kind of like the, the biggest bad a word at the time at mm-hmm. this time you know mm-hmm. he's he, he's like he's like a tough dude yeah i, I mean i'd be kind of scared to to like come at sean fain yeah because i feel like sean fain is like he he is the dude right now like he he is the dude you do not want to mess with don't ask with the fain <laughs> <laughs> don't hassle the fain what yeah, there we don't, go. don't hassle don't f with the fain i like that uh, and and we're we're learning more details about uh, Donald Trump's rumored visit here to Detroit to visit striking auto workers. I think we first heard about it from Nolan Finley yesterday or over the weekend, and, uh, and and it turns out that Donald Trump is going to skip next week's Republican debate again, opting instead to deliver a primetime address speech here uh, uh, in Detroit to an audience comprised of current and former union members. I haven't seen any details as to where or when, but uh, this is going to be very interesting because, number one, 
Uh, it seems like whenever there's a debate, at, at least at this juncture, where Donald Trump is far and away the front runner, um, he's trying to find. A, I don't want to call it a stunt, but he's trying to find something else to do that's going to generate more buzz. He uh, did the Tucker Carlson interview last time. Right. And, and this time, I think he's he, he's he's going to be courting a group of people who the Republicans haven't really had a, a corner on the market. I mean, uh, union auto workers have always been Democrat. Oh, this will definitely be a different angle for him. And I'll be very interested to see how this is received, because like I said, uh, traditionally, union auto workers, Democrat. Number number two, I wonder how Sean Fain is going to receive this. I don't know Sean Fain's politics, but I would imagine they're probably not Donald Trump. However, Sean Fain has said in the past that the UAW is not going to throw their support behind Joe Biden just because he's a Democrat. Right. He has to earn their vote. So, you know, so maybe that's what Donald Trump is trying to do. Um, he's been very critical of electronic vehicles. Mm -hmm. Um, the UAW, that's one of the sticking points here in the, uh, uh, in these negotiations. They want, um, job security as, as you transition into electronic vehicles. So maybe he sees some common ground here. Maybe he sees an opportunity here to, uh, uh, make the UAW, uh, a little more purple than blue. Purple than blue. I like that. Yeah. So we'll see. Uh, but could you imagine, Sean Fain and Donald Trump either A, teaming up, or either B, going at it. I, w- I would like to see the latter. <laughs> Just because it'll be fun. I know. I, 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 th- I think Sean Fain would give Donald Trump a run for his money. So, um, there we go. It's uh, all UAW all the time, but it's the uh, the biggest thing. And and honestly, I think the story I, I think the story here locally is going to be Donald Trump more so than the debate. I would agree with that. Which is another you know shrewd move because Michigan is a toss up state. Mm-hmm. Um, it I think it went blue for Biden last time in 2020, but it went red for Trump for the first time in 2016. So I, Michigan is definitely a battleground state. And I think Donald Trump sees uh, that he can accomplish two things at once. All right, we got to get to a break. It's first thing with Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale on WJR. It's news for the grown and sexy. <laughs> Mike Parsons with Renee Vitale. Parker Moser on the ones and twos. Get you in the mood for love. Um, actually, that's probably a bad pun to make. <laughs> so we're getting into this. Uh so the other big story that's going on, we recapped all the uh, uh, UAW, the latest with the UAW drama at the beginning of the show. And we'll be uh, following that all throughout the rest of the morning and the, the weeks to come. We didn't even get to um, the other bombshell they dropped yesterday. I guess it wasn't a bombshell in the fact that Mel Tucker's been fired. I think it was more of a bombshell, the timing of it. I, I can't believe how quickly they moved on this. Especially because they were supposed to have a hearing on it. Uh, in October. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone was thinking that they were going to wait until um, till after that to make a decision because obviously Mel Tucker still owed $80 million. And, um, you know, they were thinking the university was going to cross all their T's, dot all their I's to make sure they didn't owe that money. But yeah, yesterday, uh, Alan Haller, he released a statement that it said he informed football coach Mel Tucker of the university's intentions to fire him for cause, citing moral turpitude 
And right. I, I probably should have Googled that word because I still don't know what it means. I, I think it was the morality clause that he brought shame and ridicule to the university. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a week after, he was accused of sexually harassing Brenda Tracy. And uh, he has seven days to respond to the letter explaining why he feels he should not be fired. Right. Uh, and he went on to say it does not conclude the ongoing office uh, for a civil rights case. That rigorous process will continue. So is, I'm guessing that's the that's the hearing they're having in October. So right. Um, obviously, I, I, everyone thinks this is going to, to going to court, especially with eighty million dollars hanging in the balance. Um, obviously, if you're Mel Tucker, um, I, I don't see why you want to keep that job, but you probably do have to rebut it within those seven days because. Uh, like I said, there, there's there's a lot of money left on that contract. Yes, there is. And uh, before that, uh, Michigan State, they um, uh, announced that they have hired Cleveland-based law firm Jones Day to investigate um, the, the person who allegedly leaked Brenda Trace's name to the press. Uh-huh. Um, if you remember, she said that she went to USA Today uh, with the story of the Mel Tucker allegations um, only after someone leaked her name to the media, right, and that she had no, um, she had no intentions of going public um, before that. And if the name Jones Day sounds familiar to you, it's because MSU hired them back in 2018 to investigate a report of sexual assault involving several football players. And they're also the law firm that former Detroit emergency manager Kevin Orr was a partner in before the city's bankruptcy and the firm he returned to after the bankruptcy uh, was completed. So we're very, very familiar with with Jones Day here yep. in the Metro Detroit. Welcome back. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, you know, we need to stop meeting under these circumstances. Right. Um, so, Renee, you brought something up to me um, before the show. Sometimes I feel like Elon Musk is is purposely trying to sink Twitter. I don't understand what's going on here. He says he wants to make X, a.k.a. Twitter, a subscription-based service, meaning all users would have to pay a fee. In a roundtable yesterday with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin, help me with the last name. Netanyahu, yes. Thank you. Uh, About AI safety, he said moving to a small monthly payment would be a way to fight against the vast armies of bots. He didn't say when users would start getting charged or how much the fee would be besides it being small. Is he consulting with Tom from MySpace on how to... (laughs) Sink a once popular... How to uh, ruin yourself. Yeah, your, your, uh, once <laughs> yeah. popular social media network. Right. I, no one's going to pay that. No one's going to pay. I barely use Twitter as is, personally. Yeah. This is done. I will delete... Let me just delete it off my phone now. And by the way, let's just make an agreement. I'm going to I'm gonna start calling it Twitter until everyone starts calling it X. I'm yes. sick of calling it Twitter X or you brought up the Prince thing. Yeah, Prince and Kanye when they tried that whole thing. I'm not calling it formally known as... Right. It's Twitter. It yeah. will always be Twitter. Yeah, that's what most people know it as. And until I hear more people calling it X, and, I'm going to keep calling it Twitter. And then when they changed the icon on the phone, it confused me for a minute. I'm like, what is this at? What is this I on know. my phone? I know. You're looking all over the place. Where's for, the bird? Yeah. And I guess <laughs> I guess if you're tech savvy enough, more tech savvy than I, there is yeah. a way to um, change the icon on your phone back to Twitter. Oh, there is? However... I'm not doing homework because Elon Musk is making bad branding decisions. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So the other story that was all over the place 
was this uh, missing fighter jet. This is so crazy. It's bizarre. Yeah, its stealth abilities appear to be working too well. Authorities were forced to ask the public for help in finding an F-35 that went missing somewhere over South Carolina when the pilot ejected because of a mishap. Uh, Joint Base Charleston, which is an air base in North Charleston, said that it was working with the Marine Corps Air Station, Beaufort, to, uh, excuse me, Beaufort, Beaufort? Your guess is as good as mine. To locate an F-35 that was involved in a mishap Sunday afternoon. Now, the pilot was able to safely eject from the aircraft uh, and was taken to a local medical center in stable condition. A debris field has been located in a rural area two hours north of Joint Base Charleston. The circumstances that prompted the pilot to eject from the aircraft were not immediately clear. Well... But wow. Well, and, and so a debris field. Does, so does that mean they found found the plane or they found pieces of the plane? They weren't clear. They just said this broke last night that yeah. they found a debris field. And that's really all that they were saying. But how good and how stealthy are you that they can't well, find this? And that's the thing. Number one, I guess the reason it it. it made it two hours north of where it was is because when the guy ejected the plane kept going it kept going what was in autopilot mode yeah and and i believe the marines had to ground their entire fleet uh for two days yes because they they, they couldn't find it on radar there's supposed to be some transponder that they turn on so that what you know when you're not flying the plane into battle uh-huh. um like you could get picked up by radar but that transponder was not working so it it was as if you know it was flying a mission could you imagine having to like take this to your higher ups uh general i've got some good news and some bad news the good news is the F-35 stealth technology is working great right the bad news is it's working so well uh, one of our one of our pilots ejected, and we have no idea where the plane is. Well, my question was, what about commercial airlines? Right. What? How did they not have to ground all of those? Uh, right. Exactly. It, it was just. It was just the. It was just the military. Uh, I, like I said, I think it was Marines. Right. Exactly. If you don't know where it is, you could just be flying, and all of a sudden, you know, you're 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 on a Delta flight. Yeah. Right. You're on Spirit, about to become a Spirit. <laughs> I mean, that's scary. It is scary. And, of course, President Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, is suing the IRS for allegedly violating his privacy after two investigations revealed confidential information about his taxes. Two IRS agents, Gary Shapley and Joseph Ziegler, they testified in front of Congress this summer as federal whistleblowers who said their five-year investigation into Biden had been hindered. Biden's lawyer said that the agents disclosed confidential tax information on national TV. The lawsuit is asking for $1,000 in damages for each alleged unauthorized disclosure, but it doesn't say how many unauthorized disclosures they're alleging. And, uh, Renee, this is becoming like Trump indictment territory where this is such a mess. I mean, this this lawsuit is aside from... um, Hunter Biden's own indictment and Joe Biden's impeachment inquiry, but it's kind of related. I feel like we almost need a scorecard like with with all of Trump's indictments. Here. As you said, we need a podcast, DCMZ. Yeah, DCMZ, right. I'm Harvey Levin, and uh, <laughs> and uh, I don't know anyone else on that yeah, show. I don't I'd know. Give you a I'll be his sidekick, the other guy. Yeah. <laughs> I just know it's the other guy. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm Harvey. You're the other guy to my Harvey Levin. Yes. All right. <laughs> uh, we're going to be checking in with uh, Guy Lloyd 
Um, I don't know if Jamie's back from jury duty, so you're going to have to wait through the break to find out. It's first thing with Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale on WJR. And Renee Vitale, as always, and uh, closing out this, what is it, Tuesday? It all blurs together for me. It is Tuesday. This Tuesday edition of First Thing, and uh, we're joined by Guy. We're joined by Lloyd. The question is, are we joined by Jamie, or is she still on jury duty? I was not picked, people. <laughs> what a relief. Did, did, did you feel sad about that? I mean, is it like Honestly, being yes. picked, not picked for the basketball team or picked last? I, is I it was like, already there. I already woke to up. take it personally. I wanted to be involved. <laughs> Here, here's the thing. The one you time, wanted to do your duty. Yeah. The one time I was called for jury duty, I was hoping that I got called on the first case because that means that I wasn't going to be uh, I, I would get to sit on a jury, but I probably would be discharged that that day. After that, I'm like, don't pick me. Don't pick me. Right. Yeah. I'll tell you that my son just did a case out in California. He was foreman on a, on a sex assault case, and they acquitted the guy. And he was, I mean, he had a horrible week after that. He felt just awful. He said this guy was guilty of sin, and for whatever reason, the rest of the jurors voted to acquit. Wow. Wow. Well, could you imagine being on a, a like a high profile jury like um like uh, uh OJ Simpson, yeah. OJ or Casey Anthony or something like that where um you know, it's a very you know, it's a very polarizing case mm-hmm. and then you got you got half the population angry at you because they think you let somebody walk and then you have to deal with that. I think that's why unless you're writing a book, that's why a lot of these jury members They'll do their they'll do their interviews, you know, in it, you know, concealed. And then get the I heck out. I think they should remain yeah. anonymous. Honestly, are, I agree. Are, the, are these juries of your peers really juries of your peers? You know, I mean, because um, you know, you have some jurors that won't take this seriously, and they'll, you know, they well, unfortunately, won't. those are our peers. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. and I, you know, my father once said, "I don't want to be judged by anybody that's not smart enough to get out of jury duty." <laughs> well, it, it's uh, funny. Excuse me. <laughs> Actually, you were smart enough that, to get out of that it. That was my long, dearly departed father, okay? I, I, I lay no claim to his uh, viewpoint. They did play a video to start everything off with, you know, what is what and try and explain things. They talked about sequestering. I'm like, oh, no, please, oh, no. Yeah. I, I have a baby have to a get baby home to. Home. Right. Yeah. Um, I... I I, I came across there's this lawyer I follow on TikTok who got famous for reading like like crazy uh, like transcripts. But she did this rant video about how she was imploring smart people, more smart people to engage in jury duty because, yeah, you, you know, she spends her time in a courtroom and and she said it seems like it's only the people with nothing going on and the people who um you know, have have nothing to to get back to. Who seem to be really into getting on juries, and and you know, people like 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 Jamie or or or, or Guy or or Renee, who you know are intelligent. Um, they they try to get out of jury duty, so it 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 kind of it, it kind of dilutes the process. If uh, you know, if 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 our smart, conscientious citizens are always trying to get out of jury duty, well, I don't want anybody judging me, uh, and they're just not looking at the uh, at, at the information and saying listen let's just convict them or let's just not because i I gotta go home I right go right yeah. collect your that. 10 bucks or whatever they pay yeah, you and you then, know i yeah. just don't yeah uh so where are you guys at you guys are in port huron i know that 
We are alongside the shores of the St. Clair River in the shadow Ooh. of the beautiful Blue Water Bridge. Yes. Well, there's no shadow right now because the sun's not up. Well, it's but, black. But yeah. <laughs> and it is a beautifully lit bridge. And we can tell you that traffic is moving nicely along the Blue Water Bridge. That's no, right. No backups on either side Renee, for we now. Got you. Hey, you're we got taking you. my job. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say. Uh, just want to give you that little piece of data there. Let's there was, switch. There's a cool thing here. In the lobby of the hotel, we're at the Doubletree. They tell you where all the freighters are. They've got this map. Uh, kind of in the lobby, Ray, we, Lloyd and I were standing out there last night looking at it going, well, those freighters are on a collision course. <laughs> we may have to stand here a while to see if they Very make slow. it past. Yeah. Yeah. Lloyd, let me, let me ask you, Lloyd, while yeah. you're looking at freighters, did Guy somehow know everything about every freighter that passed by? Uh, of course he did. <laughs> I, did. I did not go full Cliff Clavin on him. No, but yeah. It's a uh, little known fact there, Lloyd, uh, that the... Uh, <laughs> So, uh, and, and, and it's some kind of business conference that you guys are at, right? Uh, this is the Michigan Convention and Visitors Bureau. Uh, edu- I, th- I think they call it the Education Conference. It's where they come together and uh, they talk about problems facing the tourism industry, but also opportunities out there. And uh, so it's a, a place where you've got people coming from different regions with different ideas. One of the things they talked about last year, uh, the, the folks from Gaylord gave a fascinating um basically seminar on how to recover from a natural disaster because remember they had that tornado with yeah they would know yeah and it's like how do you reset the narrative when all anybody is reading about where you want to market your place as a a travel destination is that you've been devastated by something so it's how to reset the narrative and get the word out that you are open for business and things like that so this is one of the many things they do and we'll be talking about the and by the way st Clair county has so many cool things going on mm-hmm. and we're going to be talking live with them coming up this morning to get things started but this is a lovely river walk yes yeah it looks great there was a lot going on even in the night when i showed up last <laughs> night <laughs> after jury duty Yes, after jury duty, after putting the baby to bed, then I came up to Port Huron. After we, and doing the show. Did, did, did I was show doing a show with Steve, Steve Courtney. I forgot about that. Yes, Is that I'm like putting a lot the baby things. to bed? <laughs> that was after the baby to bed. I did the sports book with Steve Courtney. Then I drove up here. Jamie it, hasn't slept since Saturday. That's all <laughs> true. Yes, it is true. Saturday was the Barry Sanders statue reveal. So, yes, you're right. Oh, yeah. I meant Saturday, uh, uh, two Saturdays ago. <laughs> yeah. she's, she's still doing her local Ford duties. So she's the business. Other than Ray Templin, she's the busiest person in broadcasting. Our, our, our engineer, Ray Templin, has been everywhere from you know, Huntington Place up here, and he's going back. And I think he pretty... multiplies himself some kind of way. I don't yeah. know how he does it. No. Yeah, he's got himself that clone. AI clone that Delphi is, uh, <laughs> that, that Delphi is launching. Well, so uh, we have a ton. We have a, a, a ton to get to. I mean... Uh, just when you thought uh, the, the Iranian hostages were, were was the biggest story, then Mel Tucker gets fired. He said that's the biggest story. Then Sean Fain says you got a Friday deadline, so that's the biggest story. And since uh, si- since Guy stole Renee's job as traffic reporter, Renee is going to break that all down for you. <laughs> after I, I've got it, they're going to switch. <laughs> I'm, I'm only covering the port here on the Sarnia connection. <laughs> Uh, we're checking uh, checking the traffic from our uh, Sarnia Sarnia bureau. Here's Guy Gordon. So, uh, one of the the busiest news days I can remember in a long time. Uh, stick around, Jr. Morning live from Port Huron coming up after the news. Renee and I will be back tomorrow. First thing with Mike Parsons and Renee Vitale and former President Trump and the UAW, they're not the only ones apprehensive about an EV future. What about the grid? 
Neil Rubin, columnist for the Detroit Free Press, discusses questions about the grid and its reliability to support EVs with Kevin and Tom on All Talk. I don't know about you, but uh, two of the major complaints I hear about uh, transitioning so quickly to EVs from gas-powered vehicles. With the ma- two major complaints I hear are one is, where am I going to charge this thing on a regular basis? And the second is, listen, our electric grid can't handle the additional load uh, of uh, electrical demand from EVs. And, Kevin, those are two things that are seriously being addressed. Those are serious questions. Uh, we haven't found the total solutions there yet, but I think the 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 industry in general is looking at both of those things. Yeah, Neil Rubin is a fabulous uh, writer for the Detroit Free Press, a columnist over there, and he's, he has a way with words. And in this article he's he's written, uh, he, he summed it up for me uh, that that the problem is when the grid hits the skids, yes, <laughs> and we exactly. know all about the grid hitting skids around here from just power outages. Sure. They'll say, Trees. "Hey, you're, I, I mean, I don't know how many times I've had to go to the DTE website to find out when the power might be coming back on." In in my neighborhood. My it's parents habitual. have lost their power well, four times in the last four months. Right. And like, when's it coming on? I'm looking it up for them. You're, you're good Tuesday. Yeah. Well, you know, that's not good, first of all, just yeah. to get your power back on. It's really bad if everybody's driving electric vehicles yeah. and, and you, you can pour gas on your car, but you can't pour it in it. Right. So, right. Set it on fire. So <laughs> there's some things to talk about as, as this transition goes into play. And his article does that quite well. Joining us now is Neil Rubin, columnist for the Detroit Free Press. Good morning. How are you? Gentlemen, I'm fine. How about you? Oh, good. I appreciate you being here. Yeah, this is a good week with the auto show to be able to uh, track down people and talk to people and and find out some of these questions really everybody has on their minds. I I think you're asking the right questions. Well, thank you. You know, same same thought you had. I thought uh, it's a target-rich environment here. Why don't I go find some people and ask them what I've been wondering about? Do you find that uh, people are open to possible criticisms and critiques. I, I noticed recently, uh, you know, Jennifer Granholm and uh, others have, have taken a drive with an EV and found out some of the concerns that we have or people have are real. I think so. I think they realize that, uh, you know, it's a huge transition for people and you can't give half answers or evade questions and have people buy in at all. So I felt like everybody was refreshingly honest with me. That's good to hear. Um, how are, I mean, your, your article is phenomenal because you gave a lot of reaction to the questions you're posing. And, you know, one of the questions was, is our grid uh, reliable enough right now? And the answer was pretty much no, but we're working on it. How are the car manufacturers? How are they addressing these things like range anxiety and, and grid reliability uh, for potential EV owners? Yeah, the range has improved impressively. Um, you know, you remember, I think the first one we were all kind of familiar with was the Chevy Volt. And, uh, heck, one of the local news anchors lives in the Gross Points, And, you know, he told me he was getting about 200 miles a gallon because I think it was about a 23, 25-mile range on the Volt then electrified. And that worked for him. That handled his commute. Uh, but they're talking now about 450 miles being more of a standard. Well, at 450 miles, if you top it off all the time, then if the power goes out, you can at least drive. 
um, you know, since that huge outage we had right before the auto show one year, unfortunately, can't remember the exact year, I never let my cars get below half a tank because when the power goes out, your gas station can't pump gas either. So this was a long-winded way of saying, I think their feeling is they're going to get batteries to that same point where you can depend on your car during a power outage the same way you can depend on your gas-powered car if you've got a full tank. One of the things I have been watching, and I guess I assumed a few years ago that, you know, the chargers would just start showing up at gas stations. But I've watched the industry over the past several years, and that's not what has been occurring. There have been people charging their cars in their own garages. Uh, and now there's all sorts of ideas to, you know, give our infrastructure the ability to charge EVs like uh, lampposts and things of that nature. Why are we going that direction rather than just having charging stations like we have right now with the fuel gas stations? That does make sense to me. Um, and I was told uh, that there are 160,000 chargers now in the U.S., and that seems like a big number, but we got a lot of square miles to cover here. And there are parts of the country, you know, more isolated rural parts, they don't have any chargers. So that's going to be an issue. 90%, I am told, 90% of EV owners charge their cars at home. Well, that's a problem if you're out and about. And it's also a problem in terms of who could buy an EV. Uh, if you don't have a garage, for instance, you don't have it. You know, you certainly don't have one of the accelerated chargers. Um, if you live in an apartment, you know, and you're parking way out in the lot, you don't have a 500-foot extension cord <laughs> that you can use to charge your car overnight. So this is something they realize they need to deal with. Um, you know, you mentioned lampposts, and uh, a company I mentioned in the column on Sunday, uh, Voltpost, uh, out of New York and San Francisco, they've got a technology that can turn a standard lamppost into a charger, but You've got to get municipalities to adopt it. You've got to get it installed. You know, this is going to be a lengthy process, and EVs are on the market now. Right now, only 1% of cars on the U.S. roads are fully electric. Sales are at 6%. That's supposed to get to 35% uh, by 2030 uh, worldwide. Um, when you talk to the folks about the grid in that drastic jump, um, do they say we have it figured out or we will figure it out? And do they talk at all about what it will cost uh, to, to, to come up with a solution? We didn't talk about the cost. They did seem confident that they can generate as much electrical power as we need for this. Um, you know, the, the problem locally and one of the reasons I pursued this is, unlike you, I've had to throw out, you know, two refrigerator freezers full of food three or four times over the years. Neil Rubin talking about the uh, questions of the grid being able to handle the EVs as more and more people start buying them. First thing with Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale, WJR.